we had no voice to sing your praises, would we dance before you? Praise you, Father God. God, we just give you all the glory and honor that's due to you. God, we just thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you're in control. God, we just pray for your covering over the service, God, as we hear your word and Pastor Terry preaches, God. Just pray that we can learn, we can learn more about you and become more like you. God, we just pray for your blessing over our church and over our lives. In your holy name we pray. church. As we start, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you, Father. As we just read, Father, we have been given so much. We thank you for your gospel that continually you pour your grace on us, Father. You save sinners like us. We don't deserve it, Father, but yet you do it anyway. We thank you for your Son, who is willing to sacrifice everything for us. And so his name we pray, amen. Many of you know I had the privilege to learn the essentials of biblical counseling from Dr. Virginia Stewart before I was called out here to the family church of Marco Island. And the key point to the entire message today has been derived from one of the most critical lessons I learned from Dr. Stewart. And that is this, the true meaning of biblical love. What does it mean to love someone biblically? I want you guys to, if you have pens and paper, I want you guys to write this down. And it's going to be the definition of biblical love. The definition of biblical love is, it's a commitment or a decision to do what is best for someone else, actively, sacrificially, unconditionally, regardless of feelings, to the glory of God. I will repeat that because I know some of you are like, he went too fast, I'm frustrated. Biblical love is a commitment or a decision. To do what is best for someone else, actively, sacrificially, and unconditionally, regardless of feelings, to the glory of God. This is what today's message is all about. The title of the sermon is Growing in Love Brings Unity. And this takes us to today's passages. We'll be in Philippians 2. Verses 1 through 4, that's Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So please open your Bibles to Philippians 2, 1 through 4, where I will read the first two passages for us here.
Paul says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul here appeals to the blessings they experience in Christ. And if we remember, as Pastor Casey mentioned last week, the, the Philippians were going through some tough times. They are going through trials and persecutions, and Paul tells them to hold on, stay unified. And he appeals to what they already have, church. And what is it that the Philippians already have? Well, turn with me to Ephesians 1 verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3. And Paul says this Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Church, as Paul reminds the Ephesians, I want to remind you that if you're in Christ, this passage applies to you as well. The passage in Ephesians says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, or as the King James says, all spiritual blessings. What does that mean? Well, that means that God is not holding out on his children. He has opened the floodgates to his blessings, and he is willing to give his children everything when they come to faith in him. Amen? Truth number one, spiritual blessings are a reflection of God's love. Truth number one, spiritual blessings are a reflection of God's love for us, This is what God has poured out on us. We don't earn this love, nor do we deserve it. The spiritual blessings that we are given are actively provided for us daily in our daily walk with Christ. These are gifts that we receive simply by being children of God. But, let's be clear. That is not why we follow Christ. We don't think, well, you know what? If I follow Christ, I will be happier. I think that's why I'm going to follow Christ, because it says in the Bible that um, he gives me more joy. I want more joy. I think I'm going to follow Christ. That is not why we follow Christ, church. We follow Christ because he deserves all glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. God deserves every ounce of praise he can get out of us. But yes, in return, he does bless us. He does love us. He's going to continue to change us in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? But at the end of the day, like Andy last week mentioned, God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. And that's because he loves us. But let's get back to Philippians 2 and we're in verse 2. 
And Paul says this, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul says to have the same love. So what kind of love is Paul talking about? Well, obviously, Christ's love. So truth number two, we need to learn to love. We need to learn to love. And some of you right now are asking, what do you mean learn how to love? You may be thinking everyone knows how to love, but I would submit to you, church, that very few are loving the way God calls us to love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his son, Jesus Christ. God's love was put on display when Christ sacrificed everything for the glory of the Father. This was selfless and sacrificial love. This is a love that we're called to, church. This is the type of love we're talking about when we're speaking of biblical love. But church, let me ask you a question. What does this love look like? What does this love look like on a daily basis? Well, let's continue on in Philippians in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now, why do we think Paul tells to Philippians to think of others better than themselves? I would guess it's because they lacked this type of love. And I would submit to you today that not only at this church, but in churches all across the world, we struggle to have this type of love for one another. In essence, Paul is saying to love others like you love yourself. And where have we heard that before? I think Jesus has said that, right? Let's go to Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. That's Mark 12, 30 and 31. And please turn there with me to Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. And Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandments greater than these. How many commandments does Jesus espouse here, church? Because many Christian circles argue there are three. They say there's love God, love others, and love yourself. And many Christian counselors and many preachers across America say our biggest problem is not that we're not loving God or we're not loving others, but it's actually that we're not loving ourselves. And they say this because they conclude that love is equated to a feeling or an emotion. So they think because you think negative thoughts about yourself or you feel bad about yourself, guess what? You must not love yourself. 
And it's very ironic because if we look at secular psychology, they've been saying that for years. They've been saying that for a hundred years, that we don't love ourselves very good. And, And now the Christians are on the same page with secular psychology. But hear this, church. We need to measure every new trend that's going on in the Christian world or the world at large with what the Word of God actually says. Hear this. God's word consistently says that we struggle to love God and others, and it is very natural that we are loving ourselves. Let's look back at Mark 12. Because I know some of you are probably thinking, this is really weird. I've never heard this. But let's read back, and, and we'll sort of break this down a little bit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The plain reading of the scripture says, how many commandments are here? Jesus says there's two. He says it. He says there's two commandments. Love God, love others as you love yourself. The as assumes that we naturally already are loving ourselves. Jesus is saying to love others as or the same way that you are already loving yourself. But it's a matter of how we look at love and how we define what love is. This love Jesus is talking about has to do with what we focus on daily, what we center our thoughts on daily, what our world revolves around daily. That's the love Jesus is talking about. What are we using it, our energy for? Is it to love God and others? Or are we consumed with our own agendas, our own goals, and ultimately our own worlds? Why do you think the purpose-driven life was so popular? Naturally, we focus on our own world. Christ says how we focus on our own life, on what we want, on what our perceived needs are, Christ says give that type of energy and focus to God and others. For example... Why do so many people have a hard time with public speaking? What is it that makes public speaking so horrifying? And I've told you, this has been a real struggle for me. So I'm going to just sort of diagnose myself here. I don't know if that's a good idea, but we'll do it anyway. Uh, And I want to look at some of the reasons why I am scared of public speaking. I may say the wrong things. I may freeze. I may die up here. That's what I thought. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, And below that is what? I'm worried about what you all think about me. Does that mean I'm really focused on you at all? Who is the focus on? Who am I trying to take care of up here? Whose interest am I looking out for? Ultimately, 
Biblically, who am I loving? Truth number three. Biblical love is an action, not a feeling. Biblical love is an action, not a feeling. That is why Jesus says what? If you love me, you will obey my commandments, right? Think about it. If love was equated to a feeling, I would have to have a good feeling before I actually love my enemies, right? Which Jesus tells me. He commands me. Love your enemies as you love yourself, right? If that's the case, I have to wait till I have these good feelings to actually love my enemies. Is that the case? Or does Jesus specifically command me to love my enemies all the time? He does, right? That's why he says, if your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink, right? He says, do the right thing. Give them something to drink. Because often, if I'm waiting for the right feeling to give my enemy something to drink, guess what? They're not going to get a drink. They're just not going to. But what is so great about the Bible is as we obey God's word and we do the right thing and give our enemy something to drink, God often starts doing a work in our own hearts, right? As we walk through those bad feelings. This is the love Paul is talking about to the Philippians. This is love controlled by what the Word of God says instead of how we're feeling from day to day. Oh man, I had a rough day. I don't think I'm going to read the Bible today. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like praying either. You know, I don't really feel like serving people. Guess what? We're going to have days like that all the time. I'm sure you have. If you're married, you have those type of feelings all the time. Right? I mean, there's so many times where my wife is like, "Hun, can you wash the di- can you help me wash the dishes?" Okay, this is sort of an exaggeration. She doesn't ask me that actually wash the dishes all the time, but sometimes when she does, I'm sitting there in the middle of a movie and I'm in like a great part in the movie and she's like, "Hun, can you help me wash the dishes?" And I'm thinking, "Are you kidding me?" I'm in the middle of watching this great scene right now and you want me to actually stop do, watching the movie to help you wash the dishes? That's what I'm thinking in my head. Now, if I'm smart, I'm not going to say that to her, right? <laughs> right? What I'm going to do is say, okay, honey, I'll be there in one second. And I walk through those bad feelings because I love God and I love my wife. Now, I know she's thinking right now because she's here. She's thinking, man, I hope he really gets that. <laughs> But it's true. But let's continue on. This takes us back to Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So instead of thinking about myself first, Paul says, put others above yourself. Church, how much do we love God? I guarantee it's seen how we're loving each other every day. How well are we putting others first at the family church? 
It starts with an active relationship with Christ. But secondly, we just got to be involved in each other's lives and be connecting with one another. Amen? And I would say that Casey and I are excited as so many of you are getting involved in each other's lives and starting to spend time with each other. And that's the same with us too. We're all growing in this together. And I would just highlight one-to-one discipleship because we have folks meeting here at the church. I go to Starbucks. I see people praying and talking about one-to-one discipleship at Starbucks. I go to, well, I don't go into people's, always into each other's homes, but everyone's meeting each other's homes. But people are meeting with one another. You're spending time with each other. You have each other on your mind. You're praying for each other through the week. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about putting each other's interests above our own. And we need to continue to foster and grow this. Talk about showing the world something different in this individualistic society as we learn to bond closer to one another in real community. But I want to focus the lens a little closer, a little closer to home. Truth number four Biblical love starts in the home. Biblical love starts in the home. We won't love our church families, family biblically if we are not loving our own families. The Puritans used to call the family unit little churches. That's just a great concept. Little churches. We have the little Hoskins church. We have the little Hurtley church. We have the little Valonette church. We have the little Ludwinson church. We have all these little churches that come together as one church. In our little churches or families reveals who we truly are. We can be ourselves. We can take off our masks. And it is evident who and what We are. Our children and spouse know what we're passionate about. The love we do or don't have for God is put on display every day for our spouse and children. Do Paul's words echo in the walls of our homes? Put others above yourself. Husbands, put your wives above yourselves. Children, put your mother above yourself. I want to give you some heart-examining questions and statements for you to gauge how well you're practicing biblical love in your home. And I'm going to start with the husbands. As the leaders of the homes, I'm going to start with you. Husbands, how we treat our wife reveals how we love God. It's that simple. How we treat our wife reveals how we love God. And for some of, some of us, that should be a pretty horrifying statement to say. Are we leading our wife spiritually? Are we leading our wife spiritually? I know some of you may be asking, what does that mean to lead your wife spiritually? It sort of, seems sort of like a foggy term. I think I am, or I'm not sure. But it's being a biblical Christ-like example to our wife daily. It's spending time with them in the word. It's praying with them 
Are we leading our wife spiritually? When is the last time we asked our wife for forgiveness when we sinned against them? When is the last time we asked forgiveness from our wife for sinning against them? Because the reality is there might be a lot of sin between my wife and I because we're not confessing and repenting of our sin. Not only that, but then I have this relationship problem with my wife because there's so much sin in between me and her. But worse than that, I have all this sin built up between me and God. And that hinders our relationship with him. We want the Holy Spirit to powerfully work in our homes, and we have a, a pile of sin, you know, pile up a mile long. It doesn't work, church. It doesn't work that way. Wives, are you treating your husband respectfully? Do you pray for your husband? Are you being a helpmate to your husband? What are ways you are building your husband up in the Lord today? Parents, how are we training our children? Do our children see us loving and worshiping God daily in the home? Are we studying God's word with them? Are we teaching our little ones how to pray? Because truth be known, church, if we're not, the world is happy to teach your children everything that is opposed to God. By the way, I'm in the core class on parenting, and it is phenomenal. My wife and I are getting biblically sound counsel how to Train our children to love the Lord more biblically. How to glorify God more with this little soul God's entrusted to us. And I would encourage you, if you're not involved in core classes, to get plugged in. These classes are designed to equip you spiritually and help you grow and mature in the Lord. Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. What are ways... You are being a light to your family. What are ways you are being a light to your family? Do you respect your parents? How well do you handle correction from your parents? Do you listen to your parents and honor your parents? Because the reality of it is, is how you honor your parents reveals how you honor God. If, if I'm a young person in the room and I'm back talking to my parents every day and I say I love God, I'm telling you you're lying right now. We need to make sure that we are honoring our parents, families, how we communicate to our family members reveals our heart for God. What are we passionately espousing to our family shows what we really care about. How we handle conflict in our household shows our foundation is either on Christ or something else. And as I say all these things to you, I hope, I don't want you to think I'm doing this in a, in a condemning way because everyone, including myself, 
has a long ways to go on these issues. But the point is we need to be growing in the Lord, maturing in these areas and working on them instead of so many people that seem like they act like they don't have any issues in their life. And then I talk to their spouse. Right? Diagnose yourself. How well are you practicing biblical love in your household? This love we have for one another, again, reflects our love for God. It just does. You can't get around it. Biblical love is learned as we depend on God for our strength. We don't stumble in the biblical love. It takes discipline, effort, sacrifice, and much of God's grace being poured into our hearts. Church, the same is true for the church. Unity in the family church continues to grow as our love for God grows. If we learn how to love one another selflessly and put each other first, we will be unified as a church. There will be no divisions. And not only that, but we will be a living light to Marco Island in ways that has not been seen. And talk about get the world's attention. We don't need growth schemes. We need just to be faithful to God. And as we're faithful to God, He will be the one to take care of numbers. He will be the one to ultimately take care of us who are growing and being discipled in Christ because that's what we're really called to be, disciples of Christ. And like we have read in Acts, God will be the one to add to the church daily. God will be the one to add to the church daily. Daily, May we grow in unity and love flourish in our homes and churches as the Holy Spirit continues to change us for His glory. As we close, I want to give you homework. Excited? Homework? Everyone's excited for homework. Um, and I want you this week to really meditate on biblical love, on what we've talked about. We've talked about a really hard teaching that isn't espoused very clearly in churches today. And it needs to be because this is the same love that Christ had for all of us. And now we're here to live that out. But I'm getting off again because I'm trying to give you homework. And what I want everyone to do this week is memorize biblical love. Memorize what biblical love is. Let's go through it real quick here. Biblical love is a commitment or a decision to do what is best for someone else actively, sacrificially, unconditionally, regardless of feelings, to the glory of God. That's what we're called to, church. That's what we should be about. May the love of God be poured out in our hearts and overflow on everyone around us. Let's be a church that's built on biblical love. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you, we honor you. Father, we know that your ways are perfect and we are so imperfect. As we talk about biblical love, it is so clear that we do this often so poorly whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's the children to the parents, whether it's our church community, we struggle to love you the way we're called to and love one another and put each other's interest above our own. Help us, Lord, 
Continue to change us by your spirit. Help us to be a gospel-centered community who are truly loving each other the way you have loved us. We praise and honor you. It's through Christ's name. Amen. If you could stand, please. Sing like out of rise.